Well, this is my first time teaching in 2021, and I am a little fired up. Anybody else a little fired up, ready to hear God's word? Um, it is, uh, I, I'm so excited for a new year, and I'm just continually amazed at how God is moving in our church. You know, when I look at our history, you know, this church being founded in the living room of a man named Don and his wife Sue, and all that God's done, I'm just continually amazed at the miracles God's working in our midst. And next weekend, I'm gonna update you, I'm just giving you a heads up, I'm gonna tell you two brand new CCV campuses that will be launching in 2021, and we can't wait to just see how how God's gonna use those. You didn't didn't think we were slowing down just because there was a pandemic last year, did you? We can't slow it down. You see it all around you. You know that our city and our world needs Jesus now more than ever. And it's in me and it's in this church to continue to be risk takers. And yeah, we can clap. Let's clap across all of our campuses. We gotta be risk takers. We gotta expand. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus because only when this world finds Jesus will we see the changes that all of us wanna see. So we're gonna keep going, all right? Let me give you one more update before I get into the message. Um, I wanna just thank all of you for for those of you that give so, um, so selflessly, those of you that serve, those of you making a difference in your community, I promise you it's making an impact around here. And, and I wanna give you just a quick update on our Press On campaign. Those of you that were here last year, you know that we launched this campaign just trying to stand in the gap of this mental health crisis that, that is really devastating. And so we launched a campaign that said, um, whether you go to our church, another church, you don't go to church at all, Anyone, anyone can text the word help to 72020 and we would follow up to pray for you, give you resources, but also offer to pay for the first 10 counseling sessions if you need to go see a counselor and get help. And the response has been overwhelming. To date, over 3,000 people have texted the word help and are getting the help that they need. And, before you clap, and you have raised to help pay for what is very expensive for counseling, you've helped raise over $1.7 million. Can we thank God for that? Yeah. And, and I, I just wanna share two stories. I could share 100 with you. I wanna share two stories to just help you understand the impact of this. Um, over uh, Christmas, w- during our services, I was walking around and, and I just ran into a man. He, he walked up to me and he, he just walked up to me with a purpose and he said, I, I promised my parents that I would, I would tell you this. And he got a really serious look on his face and he just said, I would not be alive today because I had planned to take my life by the end of the year if it wasn't for what CCV is doing through Press On. And I texted help and he's seen a counselor twice now and the counselor is helping him realize that his life has value. And I hope someone here today that, that wonders if your life has value, I hope you understand that your life has value. And not all of us, all of us have to remember there's people hurting all around us And I was just so impacted by that because I thought that's the impact of what God's doing. The second thing that happened this past week was I got a letter from a mom in the mail and this is a mom that doesn't go to CCV, her daughter does, and she just wanted to write in about what's going on in her daughter's life. And she said this, today I received a call from my daughter after having her second counseling appointment through what CCV's doing through Press On. She said the church offered help pay for the first 10 counseling sessions and she was going through something really challenging and she felt like she needed this. Today, for the first time in many, many years, I heard my daughter talk about something that I have not heard her say in a very long time, and that is the word hope. And she goes on, 
to write a whole lot more, but she ends the letter this way. And I just thought you needed to hear this, CCV. She said this, I hope that this mom's message will be passed on to all those involved, which is many of you, in this, and to send a message that you are giving hope. So CCV, thank you again for just dishing out hope. And can, can we just celebrate and thank God one more time for what he's doing in our midst? Yeah. Well, speaking of hope, anybody else feel like your relationships struggled a little bit in 2020? Need some hope? Uh, Mine did, I think a lot of us can relate, and so that's why we launched this series uh, last weekend on relationships, and um, what we're doing every single week is we're gonna take one thing that the greatest relationship expert that's ever existed in history, Jesus, said would transform our relationships, and we're gonna look at each of those things each week, and this week we're talking about something that, um, again, every week it applies to spouses, if you're dating someone, it applies to friendships, family, your work relationships. But this weekend, the message is so personal to me, and here's why. This is a complete weakness in my life. Um, I just wanna be really upfront and just say, I'm preaching today from a deep sense of weakness. This is not a strength in my life, I'm a fellow struggler. Um, case in point, every single year for the past 20 years, I've set personal goals every year. And I've, I've shared that with you in the past, what I do. I have a very um, you know, kind of distinct process I go through. And one of the things I do before I write down my goals is I get with my wife and I just ask her to speak into my life. And I say, what do you think I need to work on in this next year? And for three years straight, 2013 to 2015, my wife said, this is the only thing I think you should work on. And I was like, yeah, I know that thing, but what else? And she's like, you should just work on that one thing. <laughs> and I've tried so hard to work on this, but I promise you, I have so far to go. And so actually, as this weekend was approaching, Jamie didn't know what the topic was at all. You know, she doesn't always know. And so she asked me one night this week, she said, hey, what are you preaching on this weekend? You know, she knew I was kind of fired up. And, and I said, well, I'm really excited because I'm teaching on something that I'm a complete expert on. I decided to have a little fun with her, you know? And she kind of perked up and she said, like, what are you an expert on? You know, <laughs> so, so when I told her, and I, was, I, 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 to, I said it with a really straight face, I said, I'm teaching on something I'm an expert on. And when I told her, her reaction was so priceless that she didn't know I did it, but I pulled out my phone and I just started recording her. And I got her permission, this is not staged, I promise you. I got her permission to show you her reaction when I said, I'm teaching on something I'm an expert on. Watch this. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It's not funny. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> what would my wife laugh that hard at when I said I was an expert at it? No, it's not sex. Okay, get your mind out of the gutters, okay? All right, the thing we're talking about with relationships this weekend is this, being less critical and more kind. Ooh, less critical, more kind. Anybody else wanna admit that you have some work being less critical in your relationships, especially with those that you love around you the most? Anybody else wanna admit that? Anybody wanna raise the hand of the people next to you don't do it. You want to know why? Don't do it. All they'll do is criticize you. 
okay? <laughs> well, this weekend I, in our, in our uh, small group, CCV groups, I put a quiz uh, for you that'll show you where you're at on the scale of kind of criticism judgment. It's a pretty fun little quiz for you to take. That's why you should be in a group. You know, most groups are kicking back up. Some are online, many in person, but you need to be in a group to continue to grow and connect here at CCV. But the main idea, the big idea I wanna talk to you about today is this, is that criticism is kryptonite for relationships. It's kryptonite to your relationships. Now luckily, Jesus, the relationship expert, weighs in so heavily to help us on how to deal with what a lot of us deal with in our relationships. And in Matthew chapter seven, he has a brilliant, brilliant teaching that I really think is gonna help all of us. If you wanna turn there, if you have a Bible or you use your app, um, we're gonna look at what Jesus said on this topic. It's, it's one of the most famous passages in, this, in scripture. It's one that many people quote all the time. And um, Jesus, just to give you some context, is he's, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching in front of a really big crowd. And in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, he says this. You can almost see him like say it deeply, right? Do not judge. Can we just say that out loud together? Would you say that with me, ready? Do not judge. Now, I want you to say it louder and prouder, and this time I want you to point your finger, because it's kind of fun, like point your finger. Not the person you want to point at, but just point, you know, point your finger. You ready? Point your finger. Ready? Do not judge. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Do not judge, period. I mean, it's so simple, right? Don't ever, don't ever tell someone around you that what they're doing is wrong and that you need to help, help correct them a little bit. Don't ever do that. It's so simple. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not simple at all, is it? And is that what Jesus really meant? Actually, it's not. Let me tell you why. Because he didn't say, do not judge, period. He said, do not judge, comma. In other words, he wanted to have a conversation about Criticism, and I think we need to have a conversation, and here's why. I think our world is schizophrenic when it comes to correction and judgment, and I think they only give us two options. This is what our world tells us. Option one is keep your mouth shut and don't say anything, right? Option two is you should be the most condemning, vile, vocal person to every person around you, and especially on social media, because that's the most effective place to do this, right? And it's almost like these are the only two options that, that we're given in our culture. Did Jesus, what did he really mean? Well, he wants to have a conversation with us, and it's a conversation we need to have. And I think the first place to start would just be to look at this word, judge. What did Jesus mean when he said, do not judge, comma? Well, the, the word he uses is this Greek word called krino. Okay? And like almost every word, when you, when you would look it up or study it, there's a wide range of meaning depending on the context and the tense in which you would use the word. Now this word, used throughout the New Testament, has a, a, a wide range of uses. And here's the range. On one, on one end, it would be to analyze and evaluate and to help someone help correct them. On the other end would be to condemn and attack someone and really cause deep harm. Now, when Jesus said the word do not judge, did he mean don't ever analyze or evaluate and try to help someone around you? For example, you know, over the, over the Christmas break, I love golf. It's relaxing for me. I don't get to play a lot, but I went and played once over the Christmas break with a buddy of mine, and um, I was trying to decide what club to hit. And we were playing in a tournament, and I was about 230 yards out, and I was trying to decide between hitting a seven iron and a six iron. 
I'm kidding. You, you golfers are already laughing. You're like, you don't hit the ball that far. That's right. I'm not Bryson DeChambeau, right? I'm not him. Truth be told, I was only 175 yards out, right? But I was trying to decide. I hit the seven iron. I came up short. If the person I was playing with said, hey, you hit the wrong club. I think you should hit the six iron most times in that situation. Should I look at him and go, judge me? Well, no. And we know, we know that Jesus did not mean that you should never address something in, in, around you in someone's life and help correct them. We know that for a fact, and here's why. Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us specific instructions with a fellow believer on how to address when someone has sinned against us, and we need to help address that. And also, think about this. There's a bunch of other places. Let me just show you one more. In John chapter seven, Jesus said this specifically. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. In other words, there is a correct way to correct, and there's an incorrect way. So what did Jesus mean when he said the word do not judge to start this passage? Well, we know from the tense and studying this word in this context that Jesus meant it was all about condemnation. You, you ever been corrected by someone where you were utterly, utterly condemned? How well did that help you? You ever condemned someone else? We know that the idea of condemnation belongs to God, not, not to us. But Jesus didn't mean that we could never, ever help correct someone else. In many ways, it comes down to our approach and what our motive is. And so Jesus begins the conversation by saying, do not judge, comma, and then he adds some more color to help us out. He says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and watch this, and with the same measure that you dish out, that you use with others, it's gonna be measured to you. Now this is an amazing, convicting, I think scary verse, because what Jesus is saying so clearly is he's saying, whatever level you dish out judgment to other people, there's a boomerang effect, and it always happens. However you dish out the judgment, the same exact judgment and level of judgment will come back to you. Now that should concern all of us, but it begs a question I think every single one of us should answer here today, and that's this. If the level in which we condemn, judge, or correct others is the exact same way that we are gonna be corrected and judged, how do you want to be judged? Let me answer it personally. If you're gonna judge me, I want you to take into account all of me. Let me tell you what I mean. I want you to take into account my heart, my motives, my intentions. I want you to take into account the family I was raised in, the impact of my childhood, my personality type, my temptations, my past failures. I want you to take into account my current level of stress. I want you to take into account the week I've had, the day I've had today. I want you to take into account if the Cardinals made the playoffs or not. You're welcome, Bears fans, you're welcome, okay? I mean, I could go on and on and on, but what am I really saying? I just want you to take into account more than just my actions, I want you to take into account everything about me. Have you ever said to someone these words? Just, just give me a break, I'm having a really hard day. You ever said that? I've said that so many times in my relationship with Jamie, she said it to me. What are we saying? We're asking people to take into account 
all of us. Isn't that how you want to be judged? Of course you do. Then why is it so hard for us to offer the same level of grace and kindness and intention to other people? There is a simple yet convicting reason. Here's what it is. In relationships, we generally judge others by their actions, period. But we judge ourselves by our intentions. Let me say that again because this isn't original to me, but you should write this down and you should contemplate this deeply this week. Let me say it again. We judge others by their actions, what we see and exactly what they did. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We know our good motives. We know something slipped out of our mouth or we did something and we didn't mean it and we're asking people to take into account all of our good intentions, but we don't give the same level. I mean, I just know in my own life, I could think back on this last year, 2020, and I can think of the number of times that I came home completely just burdened by the weight of leadership of leading through last year and all the responsibility I felt and all my care for our church and for you and all the tough things going on. And, and I would come home and I would bear this big weight and I would be really, really short with one of my kids. Or I'd be completely unkind to my wife. Maybe I wouldn't call a friend back, you know, as soon as I should have. Or maybe I was a little distant with some people around me. And what did I want in return? I wanted everyone around me to say, well, I, we, we know what you're going through. Like, we, we, we know. We know your intentions are good. But when it comes to other people around me, when you blow up at me, when you slight me, it's not as easy for me to give the same thing back to you. Anybody else struggle with this? I just struggle so much, and it's like Jesus knew. He knew that we'd struggle here, and so he's such a brilliant teacher that what he says next is really going to help us. And let me tell you up front, it's a little convicting. Here's what Jesus says next right after this. Matthew chapter seven, verse three, he says, do not judge or you'll be judged. The measure you use will be measured back to you. And then he gives a parable. And his parable uses hyperbole and humor, if you really dive into it. Here's what he says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? Now watch this. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time, all the time, there is a plank in your own eye. Now, what happens, and I've done this so much in my life, when I, I probably read this passage 100 plus times. I'm telling you, what we have a tendency to do is we just gloss over this passage. And here's why. We think the point that Jesus is making is this. It's all about the size of your sin. In other words, in other words, let's say that you see a speck. Not quite a speck, but it's about as much as can show up on the, on the camera, okay? You see a speck in someone else's life, and, Jesus is just, and, and we think Jesus is saying, well, as long as you don't have a plank in your eye, you're good because it's all about, like, your sin, like, as long as it's reversed, right? Like, their sin is bigger than yours, go after them. Go judge them. But if it's the reverse, yeah, just kind of lay low. We think that's the point of this verse. I promise you, promise you, it's not. And I want to show you that clearly today. Please, just... 
just kind of let this verse sink in in a really fresh way. Just read it the way Jesus said it. Watch this. Watch this. Just watch. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, watch this, when all the time, all the time, not if there's something in your eye, what? Say this out loud. There what? There is. There is a plank in your eye. Here's what Jesus is saying. Every single time you see something in someone else's life, there's always a plank in your eye. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus used the word plank, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But here's what Jesus is saying. Your sin in your own life should loom so big compared to what you see in other people's lives. Romans 3.23 puts it this way. For all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know that, we know we've all sinned, but we like to compare our sin to other people's sin, and their sin looks huge and ours looks teeny. And Jesus is saying, you gotta reverse that. You have to know that your sin should loom large like a plank compared to the specks you see in other people's lives. And we just argue with that. We want to argue with that. And yet, shouldn't it, be, shouldn't it be that our own sin should loom larger? I mean, aren't we the ones that know our lives better than anybody else? We know the depravity of our hearts. We know all the things that we've ever done and the motives that we've done them, truly, if we are honest with ourselves. I mean, we, we know things about ourselves that we've not told anybody ever we know the depravity and the sin in our own lives that we've been forgiven of. It's kind of like, I was singing this week, it's, it's like, I don't know if you've ever done this, I have three girls in my house and a wife, three daughters and a wife, and so I didn't have these growing up, but apparently they have these mirrors now, that these facial mirrors that magnify your face at like three or five or 10X or something. Anybody ever use these? I know you ladies have, you have them, right? And I hadn't never used one before, but I'm telling you, the first time I ever used one, I'm looking at my face in the mirror going like, looks pretty good. You look inside one of those that magnifies it, you're going like, oh, oh, there's, imperf- I mean, there's blackheads, there's messed up stuff everywhere, right? And I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, when you look at your own life, it should, you should magnify, you should understand how large the issues are in your own life compared to other people. And when you do this, when your sin looms large compared to what you see in other people, can I tell you what it does for you? It postures your heart to avoid what's called self-righteousness. What is self-righteousness? A self-righteous person is someone who makes light of their own sin and shines a spotlight on the sin of others. You ever had someone do that to you? If you're not a follower of Jesus here today and you're, you're kind of new to church, let me tell you what's kept you away from church and kept you away from Christianity probably is you've seen Christians do this. You've seen Christians spotlight other people's sins and yet not even be aware and see the own sin in their own lives. It's called being self-righteous and Jesus warns us against the sin of being self-righteous. Let me tell you, I have been a self-righteous person in the past and I don't want that in my own life. If you ever begin to really get serious about being a part of this church and you're, you're new here, let me tell you something. You, this is not gonna be a church where you feel condemnation. 
You're gonna, you're gonna hear the truth of God's word. We will not back away from the truth, but we're, we're not gonna look at you and condemn you because the ground is level at the foot of the cross and all of us need the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. But what are we supposed to do? If the first thing we're to do is to, to really understand that there's a plank in our eye and we have our, own, we have our own issues and sin, what are we to do next? I mean, what are we gonna do with that person in your life that actually has something that you need to address? Maybe you have a friend who's making some really, really bad decisions, whether it's financial or, or sexual or in a, in a work situation. Maybe you have a spouse that you know is destroying something with your relationship and you really need to address it in the right way. You, you've tried, you've kind of failed in the past. Maybe you have a child who's, who's kind of going a little bit wayward and you really need to help them. What do you do? Should we just go, oh, we're all sinners, we're all sinners, I won't address anything? Well, no. Let me show you why that's not the answer. We cannot ignore other people and the correction we need to help other people with, especially other believers, and here's why. Because Jesus goes on to say this. You hypocrites, warning us against self-righteousness, first, remember that word, first, take the plank out of your own eye, so that's the first step, remember that, then what, what's the goal? What's the goal, what's the end goal? then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So watch this. The end goal of the verse is not that we ignore all the things around us that we may need to help someone with. It's that we actually help other people with specks and issues and sin in their own lives. The issue is Jesus gives us an order in which to do it. And this order of operation, just like mathematics, matters to its core. What is the first thing we're to do? Say it all, what's the first thing we're to do? Remove the plank from our own eye. Remember, there is a plank, always. So we're to remove the plank. Now, the plank uh, represents sin. And if you're a Christian here today, the first thing you should say is this. Yeah, but I, I can't remove my own sin. Who do we rely on to remove sin in our lives? Jesus, period. It's his forgiveness, what he did on the cross, that forgives all of us. And Jesus is using hyperbole and almost a little humor to get up in our business. He goes, remove the plank from your eye. And you're like, Jesus, I can't. I can't remove sin. Only you can do that. And he's like, exactly. And that's what I want you to remember. That you have been forgiven. Think about how much I've forgiven all the junk and mess in your life. And I think it's really interesting that Jesus uses this word plank. Because the Greek word for plank was a large beam that was used in Jesus' day for building. It was used for you know, houses where the roof or floors, used almost in bridges in, in that day. What else was a really large beam used for in the Roman Empire? Crucifixion. It's almost like Jesus is kind of like getting up on our business. He goes, remove the plank. You're like, I can't. That's right. You rely on the cross, don't you? Yes. Every single day, Jesus, I rely on the cross for you to forgive me. And when you remember this, I'm telling you, it just changes your heart. It postures you, if that's the first thing you do is remember your sin and how you've messed up, it postures you to help approach someone in the right way. For example, let me tease this out. Let's say someone in your life is, is involved in some sexual sin and you, you, you wanna come alongside them and you really wanna help them. Could you imagine if the first thing you did was say this? Well, let me remember the sexual sin in my own life. Like, what have I done that Jesus has forgiven me from? Not only in my past, but what, what have I even done, like, recently? 
And here's our, here's our issue, remember? It's, it's the comparison game. We're like, but what I did isn't as big as what I see them doing. I mean, they're involved in a, an affair, multiple affairs. I've not done that before. You ever looked at something on your computer that you know you shouldn't have? You ever looked at something on your phone and got wrapped up in it? You told yourself you'd never do it again? Kept doing it? You ever fantasized about somebody else? You ever done something really inappropriate sexually in your own life? When we remember this, it postures us to approach people in the right way. What about you see someone messing up financially? I mean, look at that dumb decision. Look how much debt they're getting into. You ever got into a lot of debt yourself? You ever made a really dumb purchase? This postures our heart. What about our kids? You know, sometimes we're, we're so hard on our kids because we want better for them. I'm telling you, when you see when your kid's messing up, is your first posture to remember all the stupid things you did when they were your age? I mean, did you do anything stupid when you were their age? This past week, I was thinking about something one of my kids is doing, and I'm like, it's so dumb. And I was putting this message together, and I thought, man, did I, did I do anything dumb like that when I was their age? And I was cut to my core, and it helped change my heart. And that's what Jesus is saying is, this will change your heart when the first thing you do is remember the plank and all that you've been forgiven of. This is how we correct correctly. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you can see clearly through the lens of the grace and the cross to help someone remove a speck from where? What part of their body, from where, from where? The eye. You ever wonder why Jesus used the example of removing something from your eye? Why not the hand? Why not the ear? Why not the mouth? Why not the head? Why did he use the example of the eye? Jesus was brilliant. Did you know doctors tell us very specifically that the eye is the most sensitive and potentially painful square inch of your entire body? We're told that the cornea is estimated to have 300 to 600 times more sensitivity with the cornea than normal skin. So when you're going to remove something from someone's eye, it requires the most gentle of touch. And I don't know if God did this just, just to help me out, but a month ago, this has never happened to me in my marriage, a month ago, Jamie came to me with this huge hair stuck in her eye, and she asked me to help her get it out. I mean, she was like almost frantic. She said, I've been trying for like an hour to get this thing out of my eye and would you please help me? And I looked and there was a, a hair, and I've never seen this before, you ladies with long hair, I guess you know this, I guess hairs can get like almost like wrapped around and I looked and I was like, I, I, it was kind of like some of you are like, but it was just there, right? I mean, I was just like, she's like, please would you help me? And so could you imagine if, if me as a husband was like, well lay down and let me get in there. The eye, think about it. I was like so, since she said, and she kept telling me over and over again, please be gentle, please be gentle, please be gentle. And I would go and I would get ready to touch her eye and she would just yank back and she's like, oh, that hurts so bad. And I said, I know, babe, but I, I see it. Let me get it. And I'm like trying, I'm trying, so, I, I'm trying to get, I tried to pull it, it like, it's back there and I'm gonna kind of get it out. 
And I know I'm touching her eye and it so hurts. It's so sensitive. And I wanna tell you something, I have never, I don't know if I've ever been so sensitive and gentle with my wife in my life. And I just wonder if God is trying to tell us, and Jesus is saying that's the picture of how you should deal with people when you see issues in their life. Approach with gentleness and kindness and grace. You don't ignore the issue. You address the issue. But you address not with this critical, judgmental spirit. You address with the gentleness you would address of trying to remove something from someone's eye. Was Jesus not brilliant? I just wonder if somebody else is like me and you need to learn to be a whole lot less hypercritical and a whole lot more kind. Jesus uses a masterful story in Matthew chapter seven to tell us four things. I wanna summarize them for you and then I wanna apply it to our lives. Here's what he says. Number one is silence is not the solution. Remember, when he says do not judge, that does not mean don't ever go and address. Do not judge does not mean don't address. It means to address with mercy and kindness and more compassion and not condemnation. Second thing I think we learn is this, is that be forewarned. (laughs) Judgment has a boomerang effect and that boomerang will hit you straight upside the head if you don't watch it. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna really judge the way we want to be judged. We're gonna correct the way we'd like someone to correct us. Three, and I think this is the one most of us need today, is this. The first step in correcting is to see and remove your own sin first. We see the plank in our own eye that's there all the time, and we really, really remember the grace and forgiveness that we all need from Jesus on the cross. And then lastly, Jesus tells us, effective correction is done like you'd remove something from someone's eye. It's done with kindness and gentleness and humility. Could you imagine if that was how you approached the people you love in your life, the people you care about when you were gonna go help correct them? Could you imagine what God would do? Who is it, who is it in your life that you need to do that more with? I would tell you very honestly, this is one of the hardest messages I've ever had to put together. And it's because I struggle so much in this area of my own life. Not with a lot of people around me, with a specific group of people, my immediate family and my wife. I've actually had my wife say to me, why is it? that you can show so much grace to other people and yet you struggle so much showing it to me. And when she said that to me, my response was, you shut your mouth, woman, you shut your mouth. (laughs) I did not say that. I actually sat in silence because it convicted me to my very core. My role as a pastor, and you know this, is I want to speak And I wanna teach you about the grace of Jesus Christ, that it's available for anyone and everyone at any time. And yet here's the people that I love the most, and I have the hardest time giving them them the very thing that not only I teach on, but I rely on personally in my own life all the time. I wonder if anybody else needs that as well. 
Who is it? Who is it that you have the hardest time not dishing out kryptonite in your relationships? Who are you overly critical of all the time and you know it and they've told you? It could be a spouse that you continue to react versus respond kindly. It could be you know, a coworker, a friend around you that you've been overly critical of. It could be a child. And again, if you want so much for them, better than you had, and yet your criticism is driving them to a place that's unhealthy. I wanna give you a really practical takeaway today, and I want you to practice this this week. And here's the very practical takeaway, is that you would say this. The next time I critique, the very next time I critique someone that I care about, here's what I'm gonna do. Number one, I will remember my own sin first. And I promise you, if you would just take that one step, it would change your heart and your posture towards everyone around you. First step, oh, I see something. I'm gonna take a step back, I'm gonna remember where have I failed? Where have I failed? Maybe even similar, not in the same way, but maybe similar. Second thing I will do is I will correct with kindness based on the grace that I've been given, that Jesus has given me. I'm gonna try to correct with kindness. And three, I'm gonna really watch my motives. I'm gonna make my motive restoration, not condemnation. I'm gonna approach with kindness because I wanna restore the relationship. I don't just wanna be right and condemn the relationship. If you would do this, these three things, the next time you critique and you start to get into a habit of doing this, I promise you 2021 would be a year where your relationships are transformed in a way that would be miraculous. Isn't that what you want? It's what I want. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this convicting passage. I know, I know I'm just convicted putting it together, and I know how much I need to work on being less critical, especially with those that are closest to me that I, I love so much. And God, my, my guess is there's a lot of us here today that, that we know that we have dished out a condemning, judging, overly critical attitude towards those that we love around us the most. And God, while 2020 was a year where we saw so much hurt and so much struggle in relationships, I pray that this year we would take advice from the greatest relationship expert of all time, especially when it comes to correction and judgment, and would we see our relationships transform this year as we follow your way of doing things, not our way. God, convict us, help us apply this this week. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, uh, next week we're gonna continue the series. I think you probably know someone in your own life that their relationships have been struggling. So I wanna encourage you to keep inviting people. It's a great time, beginning of the year, to invite someone, whether to join you in person or, or online. And next week, and again, I'm gonna share some really exciting things with you, not only those campuses, I'm also gonna share a guest speaker we have coming up at the end of this month. Not gonna tell you who. He may be a former Heisman Trophy winner that married Miss Universe, but you gotta figure that out for yourself, all right? Have a great weekend, CCV, love you.